While almost everyone agrees that reference-based pricing makes financial sense, a lot of practitioners, clients, and employees get very, very nervous when the discussion gets into the practical implementation stages. What are the roadmines, and how can you help your clients avoid them on the way towards RBP's promised savings? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're speaking with Lester Morales. Lester is CEO of Next Impact. He is an expert on all things reference-based pricing. And I know we've spoken an awful lot about RBP on the show, especially the last quarter of last year. Lester's got some very different insights because he comes initially, at least, from a different place than most of us. And that might be a great place to start our interview today with that. Welcome, Lester. Thank you. Happy to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Uh, we're glad to have you. Tell us a little bit about your background. As I mentioned, it, it it's probably different than 85 or 90% of the folks who are listening. Yeah, I don't know that that's a cool thing or not, but I actually have my degree in risk management insurance. So my mom used to joke that uh, as Halloween pictures of me little, she actually has Halloween pictures of me carrying a briefcase, wearing a suit rather than being uh, Spider-Man or Superman. So I've always kind of wanted to be in the business world and have an interesting story. My dad was diagnosed with multiple myeloma at age 16, had two bone marrow transplants, was on a disability policy for 15 years and about six years ago passed away. So I have personally benefited in my life from employee benefits. So it has always been kind of a a calling for me and went to the Florida State University that had a risk management program and and was fortunate enough to get in there and and do some good things. So it's it's been a great journey, but I always joke that says I'm, I'm one of the only people you will ever meet that's doing this on purpose. Would your mom have been more or less upset if you decided to be an actuary? She would know that that would be no chance. A, I'm not smart enough to pass those tests, and and B, I don't sit still enough to actually, you know, sit behind that desk that long. I I understand. I'm right there with you. So let's talk a little bit. Let's start it at the ten thousand foot level. As I mentioned in the open, we have done an awful lot of discussion about reference based pricing. Why is it so important? I mean, it seems like every third person you talk to has a different take on it, but everybody knows it's important, even those folks who don't really know exactly what it is or who have heard good or bad stories. Why does it, what is it and why does it matter? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'd like to start off the conversation always saying, okay, let's define what reference-based pricing is. You ask 10 different people, you'll get 10 different answers, but I like to define reference-based pricing as nothing more than changing the way a plan, a self-insured plan, reimburses for the services that are being provided. 
And that's a very simple statement to a very complex conversation. But if you think about how it happens today, we utilize PPO networks who have their negotiation or discount with charges that a hospital or other facility bills that happens to be significantly more than the cost of actually providing that service. So we start with a number that is overinflated. We take a discount. But at the end of the day, we are coming back to what is that plan reimburse providers for the services that they are being provided. In the reference-based pricing world, we utilize a reference point typically Medicare as the starting point and then come with a percentage over Medicare. But again, coming to the same exact area, which is what do we reimburse providers for the services that they are being provided? So in my opinion, the reason this is so important is because this is the first time we've had a conversation around what is the cost of the delivery of service rather than only worried about what we pay in a premium. And I think that approaching it from the different side is a much different conversation and obviously yielding much different results. Are there any carriers that you're aware of that are starting to wrap this into their thinking, or is this mostly today confined to partially self-funded and fully self-funded plans? You know, if if you took the definition of, again, reference-based pricing that says, okay, you're going about the reimbursement a little bit different, every plan that every carrier offers today has a form of reference-based pricing. It's called usual and customary or reasonable and allowed. So if you are in a plan today and go out of network, therefore out of network means that there is not a negotiated PPO contract in place, that plan member has the opportunity of being balanced billed because there is not a negotiated rate. So that plan picks up some cost from the plan, therefore, that is a reference point, whether it's 70% of usual and customary or, or however that plan is designed. So, you know, all carriers have a portion of reference-based pricing in their plans today. I am unaware of anybody who is taking Medicare and using that as the primary basis of their reimbursements to providers, but you know, if we put a, a crystal ball in front of us, do we think that's going to happen? I do believe that a change in the way the philosophy works around provider reimbursement will change. Will, will they use reference-based pricing? Will they use, you know, Medicare as the reference point yet to be determined? But I don't foresee the way of the PPO being such a dominant way of talking about provider reimbursement being in vogue and the, the, the leader of that pack, if you will, for, you know, for a long time here in the future. To level set a little bit, what would you say is the difference between the ultimate, if you converted the, the network discounts into a percentage of Medicare, what, if anything, is the difference between what that number is, what percentage of Medicare versus what you can do if you're outside of one of the traditional fully insured or, or, or network-based models? Yeah, you know, so I would say the answer isn't consistent universal, universally and across all of the cares. But if you averaged that over, and I always tell brokers this, you know, if you're looking at the paid claim down at the bottom right hand corner of your report, 
for your client and it says that your client paid $3 million in healthcare costs last year or, or in, in paid claims and you reverted that back to what percentage of Medicare that number is, typically we see a number that's between two and a half and three times or 250 to 300%. Now, on some services at some facilities and some carriers based on geography, obviously those numbers fluctuate to higher than that number. And obviously some of them fluctuate to lower that than that number. But on average, that's what we're typically seeing when we run an analysis on that. Okay. So that's, that's in the fully insured side of the universe. Yeah. I mean, you know, a paid claim, a paid claim is a paid claim, you know, where the difference is obviously between a fully insured and a self-insured is, you know, how much you're paying for quote unquote insurance or what we would call the retention of that particular account. But let's assume in this conversation that a paid dollar claim is a paid dollar claim, whether that was paid under a fully insured arrangement or a self-insured arrangement. So there, there is no way to get the cost below that 250 or 300% of Medicare? In the PPO, so accessing a PPO, I, I think, again, based on the geography, based on the carrier, there are some carriers that are you know, yielding a better result than that in particular marketplaces. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say that there's no way. What I would definitely say is that it is often going to be a several multiple times over what Medicare reimburses a similar provider in a similar geography. So if you take, you know, geography one, two, three, four, and looked at a particular hospital and said, what is the reimbursement from a Cigna plan on that with that provider, that facility versus what Medicare reimburses that same exact facility for that same exact service, you're going to get quite a bit of a spread there. So now it's just a delicate balance between noise and cost savings. And that's exactly what reference-based pricing is, is that delicate dance between how much do you want to try to squeeze and how much noise are you willing to tolerate. And now, a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single-source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years' experience working with educational institutions, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing health care costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. And, and yet, we hear from some of the reference-based pricing providers, if you will, for lack of a better word, or, or, or folks who are bringing these types of solutions to self-insured plans, that they're negotiating at 130 or 140 or 150 percent of Medicare. Is, is that your experience? 
Yeah. So, you know, typically the plans that I'm talking about start with a reimbursement between 140 and 150% of Medicare. And I would say in a facility-based transaction, a high, high, high percentage, 96, 97% of the time, the facility is just fine with that percentage of Medicare. That's a heck of a delta between 250% and 150% if you're the folks writing the check for the claims. You are absolutely right, which is, I think, you know, what, what I have found is the interest level is through the roof. So it, this is not ever a topic that you couldn't, you know, fill an audience if you were giving a seminar or have a conversation with a buyer on this. This is all a function of the belief system of the person who is advising that client. And then also how aggressive, again, how aggressive do you want to be? Because 150 is different than 130, which is different than 120, which is different than Medicare. So different types of plans are trying to squeeze, you know, the, the, the last nickel out of it. And that's where some of the friction points, if you will, of these types of plans can come in. Well, and one of the things that we hear consistently, and it's it's an objection for lack of a better word, or at least a concern when you first start talking to a client, even a savvy client about this is, oh my word, my employees are going to get balance billed and, and my HR department is going to be overrun and I'm going to have a revolt on my hands. I know that was the case early on in reference-based pricing. Are we still seeing that? If we are, why are we still seeing it? And if we're not, what's happened to get us there? Yeah, so I, I would think that the service model of the program is is really what is driving the amount of noise. So let's go with you know setting some level sets. Um, when we talk about noise, to your point, we we are synonymous with saying that's a balance bill, and so. If you're trying to, again, eliminate noise. So typically when I'm talking to an employer or an advisor of this, I said, okay, everybody kind of understands how this saves money, right? So you're taking Medicare as the basis point, you're paying a percentage over versus this overinflated, fictitious bill charge number and taking account off of that. So normally that conversation is pretty easy to have. And now it's okay if we all agree that the financials of this make a significant amount of sense to explore. Now we have to talk about the noise factor. And so I spent, you know, 14 years on the consulting side and I would tell you the early models, I don't know that I would have put in front of my own clients because of the significant noise factor. And so I think the early models did a couple of things in my opinion were a little bit flawed. One is the kind of the education to the plan member, basically saying, go wherever you want to access healthcare, as opposed to a true understanding of, you know, hey, this might happen, you know, in this scenario. The other thing that those plans failed to do in a proactive basis is help the plan participate, understand where they can go access healthcare. And so there are two fundamental things that I think when talking about reference-based pricing that really divide the room, if you will. The first is, do you do a pre or post negotiation model. So if you do a pre or post, that is going to dictate the amount of potential friction that is caused by the event of a service being rendered. So if you're talking to somebody that does a post model, they're saying, hey, plan participant, go access healthcare where you need to. If you get a balanced bill, 
we have a team of people that will help you negotiate that down. So the trigger point there in the conversation is the actual claim being processed and submitted. If you're talking about the pre-negotiation side, it's how do you have a conversation with the facility before the service is actually rendered? I am a huge fan of the pre-service model. And so that trigger of being able to have the conversation with the participant before the participant, but also the facility before a service is being rendered is driving the noise factor down. So the motivation and the leverage is part of this conversation to say, okay, do you have leverage with a facility more on the pre or the post service side? On the post service side, the school of thought there is, well, what are they going to do? Take out the heart? Take out the knee? Are they going to revert the surgery? They've already done the service. So they're motivated of getting recouping the, you know, revenue associated with performing that service. On the pre-service side, the rationale is using competition and being a little bit more collaborative in nature with the facility. So the models that we like the most here are going to put a pre-authorization requirement for the plan member before they access healthcare. So that's either caught because they called in and said, hey, I'm having a surgery. I'd like to go to this facility. Or it's caught when the facility actually calls in to verify benefits. Either way, at that point, that is the trigger point to allow a conversation to happen with the facility about what is the service and what is the reimbursement for that service. When that happens, that allows the facility to say yes or to say no. And I think that is the fundamental difference between the two is one is you're having a service, you're sending a payment, and you're hoping it goes smoothly. And if it doesn't, there's a friction in that negotiation or that argument or that you know uh, process. On the other model, it is the pre-model. You are having the conversation before the service is rendered. The second big point I always like to bring up is the per employee per month or flat fee compensation model versus the percentage of savings business model. So the the repricers, as, as you termed it earlier, that typically have one or the other, maybe some are offering both, but the fundamental difference between the two, if we all agree that the noise is attributed to the balance bill, However, somebody's compensation model is tied to a percentage of savings of the balance bill and more balance bills coming out allows that person to make more money. It's an interesting model and I have to ask myself, are we aligning the proper interest to the goals and objectives of that client? If that client wants to save money, however, wants to reduce the number of noise, noise is synonymous with balance bill then why would I pay my service provider percentage of a balanced bill? So my personal belief is that the PEPM, the per employee per month, or the flat fee model for performing those services are building a plan aligning people's interest a little bit more. So pre-service, PEPM tend to be the models that I see having the most amount of success, and I'm defining success with a balance between cost savings and noise. 
We've just got a couple of more minutes left, and I wanted to ask you, we interview people about RBP. It seems that the majority of the market, until now at least, has been focusing on facilities because that's where the biggest costs are. Are there groups that are starting to talk to individual practice physicians or physicians groups as well? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that's also an interesting, you know, strategy with direct primary care and some of these other innovative health management, you know, spins to it that says, you know, if I can use a better connection point to primary care and specialty care and able to, A, buy it at a more convenient price, i.e. a fee-for-service model, very similar to the percentage of savings model, doesn't necessarily align our interests the same way. So when you're having conversations with the primary care side and the specialty side, not only can you align interest a little bit more, but you know, do you and are you able to drive plan designs, contribution strategies, communication strategies such that you're encouraging your plan participants to, you know, get their checkups. And so if you could not only buy primary care and specialty care at a cheaper rate, but also ensure that a majority of your plan participants are seeking the care that allows you to be proactive rather than reactive, a lot of times you can take cost out of the downstream cost like such as large claims and things that happen because you know people just don't do the things that they're supposed to to healthy in the minute we have left where do you see the future how do you see this growing out into becoming more of a mainstream actually implemented strategy than a much more talked about strategy I would say that we're going to have to have and produce more clients and more case studies. So, you know, I don't necessarily support only one service provider or one model. I think that the world's be educated about the various levers that can be pulled to save money and, and really the wool being open from the eyes of, of the plan participants is, is what's going to drive the momentum to allow employers to have the opportunity to pull the levers. So under the, you know, BUCA arrangements, a lot of times, you know, health management strategies, disease management, what do you reimburse, prescription drugs, the reinsurance, all of the things that are going into the cost drivers are not able to be peeled out and be able to bring the best solutions to the table. So I, if I had a crystal ball, I would say that as an industry, we need to do a better job with the education around these various strategies and not necessarily this provider, this service provider versus this one, this vendor versus this one, more on the, these are the cost levers that are able to be pulled when you are taking a proactive approach and, and maybe a little bit more of an unbundled away from the, uh, from the various carriers. So I really think that this is a transparency conversation and and an empowerment to the plan participant that you have more options than you have been led to believe over over the existence of, of your health plan. Yeah, the, the problem as always is that folks don't know what they don't know, but that's a great place to end our conversation for today. Lester Morales, CEO of Next Impact. Lester, thank you for sharing your expertise with our audience, and we do hope you'll come back. Absolutely. I'd be loved to. Thank you very much. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. Thank you.